It is such an old school thought that sales should do it all and be responsible for it all. And it is so common. So step number one is just showing it to them in numbers because opinions are valuable, but data is priceless. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Welcome to Season 3 of Decision Point. I'm Kyle Hawk, Director of Marketing at Monster Connect, and I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm very excited to kick off Season 3 of our show. But before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that we're launching a newsletter companion to this show in which we'll be delivering additional content like bonus episodes, helpful resources, and some great tips to take your sales career to the next level. Just go to monsterconnect.com slash podcast. You'll be able to sign up right there. Uh, last year, we heard a lot of amazing stories on the show, stories that focused on facing adversity head on during an extremely difficult year. And as we launched season three of our show, we were curious to hear stories from the other side. What did you learn from 2020 and all of the difficulties and challenges that it brought that's helping you pivot, evolve, and grow in 2021? That's the question we're seeking to answer in these first several episodes, and I wanted to start things off by talking with Mary Grothy. She's the CEO of SalesBQ and House of Revenue, a Denver-based firm of fractional revenue leaders who currently lead the marketing, sales, and customer success and RevOps departments for companies across the nation. She's also the host of the fantastic Quota Crusher podcast. The Mary and her team obviously experienced the ups and downs of 2020, just like the rest of us, but they also experienced it alongside their clients, who they were helping navigate uncharted waters. There are a lot of stories to tell, but one thing was clear, and it's at the heart of Mary and her team's mission. Their clients were finding new ways to flourish and scale, and it all begins with focusing on all aspects of the revenue engine, marketing, sales, and customer success. And this idea of building a revenue ecosystem is something Mary is passionate about and something she's seen change the course of companies in her career. With no sales training but plenty of drive, Mary started in an admin role at a Fortune 1000 payroll company at the age of 22 before pitching an 18-month plan to her boss in an effort to join the sales team. Within 30 days, she was the top sales rep in her company. We're going to jump into the conversation here. She explains where her drive to succeed came from, how her sales career has evolved since those early days, and why she's so passionate about reimagining the revenue engine for her clients. Let's listen in. You know, we've had so many conversations on, on this show over the past year of talking with people. We, we talked with somebody that was a nurse and within a month uh, of, you know, transitioning to sales was crushing it. We talked to somebody that was a, a high school teacher. There, there's not like one particular path that leads somebody to like immediately step in and just crush it um, as a great salesperson. What do you think? Was it about your personality or your drive that was the right fit that just made that click so naturally and so quickly? I grew up in an alcoholic and abusive family. I was the youngest of four kids. I was never made to feel loved, appreciated that I was enough, good enough. I also fought for survival. I had an amazing emotional intelligence. I can read a room. I know how to influence situations to work in my favor. It was all part of survival and growing up. I also had the greatest fear of disappointing one of my parents because mm. the repercussion wasn't pretty. Going into a sales role, I was scared to death. I remember the first day back from corporate training, I was top of my class. They had people in training, the guest trainers, which were sales managers across the country, were calling my manager and saying, who is this girl? She's working her tail off here to prove mm -hmm. a point. 
they were already noticing something was different. Of course, I had no idea. I just had my head down. <laughs> I was really just yeah. out of fear of not succeeding. I had to win. When I came back to my desk and realized I actually had to start making phone calls, I realized how scared I was. And I had a terrible fear of disappointing anyone, letting them down. Truly, this sales manager was the first person who ever believed in me in my life. I mean, more than I even believed in myself. And I was so scared to let him down. I asked him what to do. He told me to call 10 of our existing clients and ask them why they chose our product or service, why they remain a client even when the competition is knocking on their door, and what the biggest gain is, like an ROI statement that they've received. I didn't have to make 10 calls. I made maybe five. I was so blown away by the answers. Our clients were so happy. And I shifted my mentality to say, Someone should be thankful to take my call. What we do here is pretty awesome. <laughs> and I was yep. so young. I didn't have, I mean, so young, so inexperienced. I didn't have any bad habits or any frame of reference or belief systems around it. And so I had this courage to start making these phone calls, but I was also afraid to get hung up on or to not bring value out of the gate. And so I took it seriously that I needed to perfect my initial outbound message. I had just started using LinkedIn. That was a new technology, newer in 2008. I was also using the internet to find some talking points about the company, some people. So it sounded like I knew a thing or two. Yeah. A couple of value statements and the confidence inside of me that what we did was actually quite wonderful. I was able to leapfrog against my peers. I think there was a passion, conviction, and enthusiasm. PCE is what we call it. I think there was that just naturally in my core DNA. With that, I also knew that I cared so much what people thought about me. I had a concern that I, if I'm not bringing value, why would anybody want me in their life? And right. in a sales career, and and don't worry, I've healed from that. <laughs> it's taken a long time. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't operate that way anymore, but you're asking specifically about truly that first month or year in sales. I was so scared to let anyone down that I fought so hard for my client, for my prospect to ensure that whatever I was putting in front of them was truly going to make their lives better. And I think that they realized how committed and genuine I was. And it made it a no brainer to say yes to me over the competition. Well, that's really great. And I, you know, you, you touched on something there and, you know, talking with uh, the customers and, and gaining this understanding that like, wow, people should be happy to be getting a call from me. People, you know, should be excited to, to take my call. And of course, you know, going into, you know, a, a, like a SDR role like this, there's, you're facing a lot of hangups, you're, you're facing a lot of people that, that don't want to talk to you. It almost sounds like for you, it's almost like flipping that mentality on its head with how you approach it. And, and I know you've uh, got this podcast, Quota Crushers, which I already mentioned, I love the name of it, just as you're having conversations with people, as you work with your clients, as you're coaching people, do you find that that's one of the hallmarks of somebody that's going to come in and immediately crush their quotas? Is it just flipping that, that state of mind and that, that framework in your head as you're going into it? It is. We believe in BQ, the behavioral quotient, and that has four components. If you can imagine a circle right now or like a cycle, at the top would be how you think. And your mental mindset, that's where it all starts. When a piece of information enters your mind, we as human beings, 
immediately tell ourselves a story about that piece of information, and that triggers our emotional state, positive, negative, indifferent, varying degrees of that. And based on the story that we tell ourselves, the emotional state is either going to help or hinder the type of action that comes next. And action is everything in BQ, and actions yield results, which is the fourth component of that. Every time when we break it down to look at a high-performing salesperson versus a mediocre or underperforming salesperson, you can identify it in the BQ. But it's not just, you can't just look at activity and and the effort. You have Mm -hmm. to get to the core of what's behind it. There's something so fresh and pure about people who embark on a sales profession and they're so green and they're so new. They're not jaded. They don't have belief systems around it. Potentially, they haven't sold in an environment that really ran them ragged and helped them reach burnout, which then you don't look at the profession too great, or you didn't have a great manager, which is super common in sales profession, probably any profession. That mental mindset piece and how they show up for the day is the indicator. It's one of the top traits for top sales performers. Mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting because I want to talk about this, what what this looks like in action, specifically in the past year. And, you know, uh, we've talked before when we began ideating on the idea of a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales last February, by the time we were having conversations in April, (laughs) the the world had changed. And uh, we were talking with people that were facing the, you know, kinds of adversities that we definitely had not anticipated. I'm wondering in working with your your clients last year and you know you help companies nationwide to sell success. What what did you see last year? What were some of the biggest challenges uh, that they were facing and how did this all become applicable in real time in the moment? Reps were wildly discouraged. So many reps who were used to meeting face to face. We had several clients that had layers of sales teams. We had inbound qualifiers. We had BDRs, SDRs for outbound account executives, outside salespeople, regional sales directors, all sorts of sales roles. And people had to completely shift and learn how to sell virtually, number one. Number two, their internal household, their lives were turned upside down. There was so much Mm -hmm. fear All of a sudden, people are getting sick. We don't know how bad this virus is in the early stages. People are losing their jobs. Kids can't go to school. I mean, look at a salesperson. We already have a very difficult job, (laughs) which is why it is so rewarding when we knock it out of the park and why so many people want to be in this profession. It's already a hard job with a ton of rejection. It takes a lot of motivation and energy to continue forth on the path. You have to cut out a lot of noise and you have to have very specific DNA and traits in order to persevere in this profession for a long time and have continued success. You put that person who already has a high pressure role and a lot of stress, and now you completely turn their lives upside down, their lives, the lives of their spouse or partner, their family, their loved ones. It created a ripple effect through the sales community. We also took salespeople out of their environments of high-performing cultures and asked them to sit at home by themselves. Salespeople don't want to be by themselves, not at least not the ones that I know. Maybe a few introvert salespeople were like, this is amazing. But we, most of us in sales, we, we thrive 
off of community and being with each other. It's motivating when you have a cubicle wall separating yourself from a top rep on the sales team and you're listening to them relentlessly dial or you can hear them having a conversation with a prospect. It is going so well. I mean, that's the stuff that fueled me hearing that, oh shoot, she's crushing this call. She's going to close that. I have got to get on the phone. I need another deal in my pipeline. There's no way I'm letting her pass me. But you took the rep out of that environment and you expected them to figure it out and do it at home. And there was a constant fear that their job was going to get cut. Think about how many people were working in industries directly in or servicing hospitality and retail and restaurants, industries that were completely shut down. I saw so much panic and fear and the salespeople, what they really needed was a hug. They needed reassurance. They needed somebody with empathy to come to them, to tell them it was going to be okay. And that this was the greatest profession. And it still is the greatest profession in my opinion. And that salespeople are innovative. They're very entrepreneurial, many of them, and we know how to take on risk. So let's put our big pants on and figure it out. And so for our teams, we had to completely take a step back and emotionally align and ensure that we had mentally and emotionally well salespeople that we were working with. Second, we had to get creative because so many people retreated and cut sales and marketing in order to reserve cash. And we were able to help our clients who remained with us get creative and say, while your competition is pulling back, we're doubling down and here's how we're going to do it. We also got creative in a shift to serve the industries that were flourishing over the past year, which many industries, because of the shift in the way consumers were behaving in other trends in various industries, some were thriving. Therefore, we focus time and energy to the industries that were thriving rather than having a group of salespeople continue to call on restaurants, showing right. empathy and trying to not sound tone deaf. It's like, why are we, why are we even making this phone call? Like, hold the mm-hmm. phone. This is the last thing they're going to care about. They're about to lose everything. We need to be calling industries that we can still have a business conversation and we can figure out how to do that. So we made the shift as far as how we were doing the work and then uh, who we were targeting and how we were creating conversations with them. The third part was we had to figure out how to create a high performing sales culture with everyone working from home. And it wasn't just a zoom happy hour. There were multiple ways that we were able to figure out how to create camaraderie and to create community and to allow salespeople to not feel like they were on an Island which was extremely important in order to maintain the energy. Well, that's uh, really awesome to hear. And I, I'm, you know, it's fascinating. You you do such a great job of laying out just all of the like logistical and emotional changes that are so impactful for sales teams. And of course, um, everybody's kind of learning on the fly and figuring out how it's going to work through all of last year. And we come into 2021 and, you know, we've, we've learned some things, we've been able to pivot in some areas. Um, but in a, in a lot of ways, we're, we're still not out of the woods yet. And we're still ways away from uh, things being back to, you know, quote unquote, normal. What, what has been your experience and what you've seen from your clients in that regard? I mean, are, are people, have people kind of settled in and, and found that balance and um, found that ability 
with, you know, everything that you were able to coach them through last year? How, how are people balancing, like, here's how we've learned to solve the problem versus like, here's where we still want to get to in the end? It varies by client. It varies by the size of their company. It varies by the company's innovation and ability to meet the new needs of the buyer that they serve because a lot of needs of buyers have shifted. Like FYI, anyone in marketing listening to this, please go redo your ICPs with your buyer personas and potentially update Mm -hmm. some language. These should not be something you did three years ago and it's just sitting there. Like if you haven't adjusted that and changed the playbook and the messaging, not just in sales, but in marketing and have alignment, it's critical right now. But it varies by industry on how they were able to flourish and get past it. Some people realize they may not be cut out for the sales profession. When you take away Mm -hmm. those components that I was talking about and completely shift the landscape of how a salesperson sells, so you take their territory away from them. As an example, one of our clients, they had geographic territory managers, territory reps who were on planes and in a different state in their geographic territory every week. Their business is selling to blue-collar mom-pa shops who don't really rely on technology. They're not very technologically advanced. They're very old school in the way that they take meetings. And it it crushed the rep's ability to sell. It was a huge transition for them to figure out how to sell to a type of buyer who didn't want to be sold to over technology and didn't schedule meetings. And it was very interesting to work through that strategy to adapt. We ended up getting them to a very good point, but it took about four or five months and it was difficult. And they ended up having one of their greatest quarters ever once we were able to figure out and make that shift. Other clients, I think that you have, uh, we've we've just seen salespeople that aren't cut out for the profession anymore. And now that it's shifted and changed, there are fair weather salespeople and I I remember back in 2008 when I started selling, and I didn't understand this at the time, I joined the number one sales team in the country. They had flourished for years, especially in the early 2000s. The technology that they were selling was innovative, and it had leapfrogged from the biggest name competitor in the space. The customer service was untouchable, and the economy was super good. The ride of the wave made sales for that company very easy. You could just show up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People were receptive to making the phone calls. People were responding to emails. The value prop resonated so strongly. Conversion rates were so high. The market shifted in 2008, 2009, 2010. By 2010, every single member of the sales team had turned from the team that was there in 2007. Because one by one, they couldn't perform at the same level. They couldn't get creative. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't iterate. They couldn't adapt. And I'm seeing some of that shift now. Many people are waving that white flag. And then others are absolutely flourishing, having their best years ever. And I think that just goes to the DNA of a salesperson and really aligning with, do you have that risk tolerance? Are you innovative? Are you an optimistic, passionate person who's willing to persevere? You don't have a plan B or are you allowing the weight of the world and the shifts to cause you to say this isn't for me? And either answer is okay. 
Well, this is a, a probably a good time. I, I want to bring up House of Revenue, um, which is uh, essentially the other side of the business that you've implemented now from SalesBQ. And you've got this granular focus on working with individual salespeople and sales teams. But then there's also this other side now where you're focused on the big picture and, and looking at revenue from the CEO perspective and how to how to grow a company that's plateaued. I, I'm wondering, in, in your experience so far, what, is, what have been the biggest differences in working with um, even a sales-minded CEO versus sales teams and sales leaders? Well, the shift had to happen. I'll answer your question in two parts. Our first 18 months as SalesBQ, so all of 2018 and half of 2019, my heart was to find that sales-minded CEO that was owning the sales function and struggling to build out a sales team. They had cycled through three or four salespeople, No one could sell as good as a CEO. They weren't willing to relinquish control. They didn't understand that a salesperson wasn't going to have the clout or ability to sell at their level. They didn't know how to build a comp plan, attract the right talent, retain that talent, train the talent. We solved that problem. We found 40 CEOs in 18 months that we served and we helped them grow their sales orgs, but we got smart and we started to realize, wow, we're building high-performing sales teams for these small companies, most of them sub 5 million in revenue, but the sales teams were hitting ceilings. We were getting to the point where we're building three or four pretty decent performers and getting to the point we needed to bring in a sales manager. But the team now being at that size without marketing or automation or investments in technology, and then of course we're growing sales so much and nobody has a focus on customer service or customer success and the new client onboarding experience and even just the entire client experience, things were starting to break. And I knew that was a problem. In the back half of 2019, I started to, well, actually my team, (laughs) everybody, we said, how do we solve this problem? And we realized we needed to start to have a say in marketing. We needed to start to have a say in the tech stack and the automation. And our marketing manager actually stepped up to the plate, was the first one who said, how can I lend my talents to our clients? I said, I don't know. And so we started leveraging her time fractionally. She's helping us scale for marketing. She lends her time fractionally to our clients. And we start to realize, I think we're on to something. So we bring in a fractional CMO who helps build out what our offering is going to look like. And we start investing in developing partnerships for automation and technology. Oh, we get into 2020. We have a full service offering now. Pandemic Mm -hmm. hits us and we lost 60% of our revenue in March. We had several clients that were still kind of on that old model of just working with the sales team that asked to get out of their contracts early. There was a lot of fear about them being able to survive. Of course, um, I wasn't going to hold anyone in it. We let them out, but we had to rebuild our company. And when we did that, we adopted this full service, full scale ahead mentality that we now were committed to serving the CEO who understood that you can't solve your revenue challenges with sales alone. It's a huge component of the business, but not anymore. It has to be one holistic revenue engine. We had nine full service clients in 2020 On average, we doubled their MRR within 10 months. The average client grew by 3.2 million in revenue, which was a 1,500% ROI. But during that time, what we learned is the salesperson of today and the sales manager of today 
have been brought up in environments where they had marketing, where they had inbound leads, where they had name recognition, where they had automation and technology. And there are a lot of smaller companies that have yet to make investments in those, but they want to attract that talent. Well, that talent doesn't want to come work for you if you don't have those items. And so it was interesting because you asked what kind of shift we saw. Well, we had to separate out SalesBQ from House of Revenue because our SalesBQ brand and our Quota Crusher podcast and our, our free sales training room, those resources were kept just attracting salespeople and sales managers and sales leaders by the dozens every single day. We have so many subscribers and we love our Quota Crusher community, but they were an indirect lead source telling me how horrible their CEOs were, (laughs) saying our CEOs need you because they don't understand the value in this holistic revenue engine. So we were getting more, I would, I guess, referred to as like backdoor referrals, but we weren't allowed to mention their name (laughs) or Mm -hmm. say that we knew anything because they were too scared for their job. And, And so I was thinking, this is super wonky. Uh, We're not attracting through our own SEO and keywords and traffic, any decision makers. And we also felt like the name SalesBQ wasn't doing us any justice because now we're holistic at all revenue functions. That Mm -hmm. caused the rebrand to House of Revenue. We uh, separated the two audiences and now we're attracting CEOs through House of Revenue. So how has it shifted? Sales leaders and managers now can tell their CEOs to go look at the content and and subscribe in our House of Revenue community to understand the value prop, but they still are huge advocates and friends of the business because they are acknowledging that they need help selling the concept because they're falling short of helping the executive see how critical it is to have a holistic revenue engine and to stop putting so much pressure on the sales team as like a single point of failure or success. You can't hire a team of sales unicorns. Sales unicorns don't exist anymore. You can't rely on the sales team solely to be your sole revenue generator. Marketing has to play a role. Marketing should be compensated against similar metrics about producing revenue and hitting goals. And customer success cannot be an afterthought. There are millions of dollars sitting in the base of most of the clients we go to work for because after that client is sold and won and there's a signed contract, it's as if the revenue expansion conversations completely cease and they're not focused on that client experience and marketing is not playing a part in the client experience to help upsell, expand revenue, get renewals, increase retention, and to solicit referrals by creating that brand ambassador. And so how has it shifted? The salespeople, they're near and dear to our heart. We love our quota crusher at our sales community that we're a part of. And as a top performer, like I will always advocate for salespeople. But times have shifted. The buyers shifted. And if you're not looking at all components, like you're just going to cause your sales team to hit a ceiling. Yeah, this is fascinating. And uh, definitely just right up the alley of of, uh, my and uh, our at Monster Connect's passions in terms of thinking about this. And it sounds like this was kind of a change happening for you all as it was happening for a lot of companies. And you kind of like cracked the code on how to like implement that for some of your clients. And I love how you talk about it as like, I believe the revenue ecosystem is like Mm -hmm. one of the phrases you use to talk about this. When you come into a situation and, and the company's struggling to make that transition, what are the what are the biggest hurdles that they face just in terms of a mindset of being able to think about this more holistically than they have in the past? And what does that look like for you to help them through that? They don't want to make the investment. It is such an old school thought 
that sales should do it all and be responsible for it all. And it is so common. So step number one is just showing it to them in numbers because opinions are valuable, but data is priceless. And when you can show the CEO historical data and help them understand from a business intelligence standpoint, looking at the data analytics and help it tell a story and help them see, we like to build revenue economics models. And it helps them identify their cost of growth or scale. Growth and scale are two different things. And what it's going to take to get there. And we show them if you want to grow or scale at the current way that you're doing it, Here's how not profitable it will be and how long it will take. Then we show them in a model to say, if you're able to do things, I mean, and I know it's big in your value prop too, you cure one of the biggest issues with salespeople, prospecting. How Mm -hmm. much time does a salesperson have to spend on the phone and email if they're even doing it? And if they are, are they doing it well? This is a highly compensated salesperson. They're usually brilliant once they get the conversation, but the Achilles heel is getting enough conversations. And it just seems to be pulling teeth to get salespeople to do the outreaches, especially in changing times. So you have a beautiful value prop and what you're doing for the sales community. The idea is to show them that by making potentially a two or $300,000 investment, you can get to add one, two, three, four million more dollars and do it in a very tight timeframe And it won't be overwhelming because it's very systematized and it's automated. And it's easier to scale automation and systems and processes than it is the Wild West chaos of a bunch of salespeople just doing it their own way. And so typically, in order to get them to be on the same page, is we have to show them the model. We have a client that we just started working with. We love them so much. They were so hesitant. This is a, a an old school mentality. They've always trusted salespeople. They've never touched marketing. Their website is outdated. Their logo is not doing them any favors. They have thousands and thousands, I don't know, like 30,000 website visits and zero conversions every month. Mm-hmm. There's no path to even like convert. There's, there's nothing on there on the website. Mm-hmm. And they've always just said, it's a salesperson's job. It's a salesperson's job. It's a salesperson's job. He was very hesitant to engage. We're not cheap. And he couldn't see the value out of the gate. And I said, how do you how do you understand value? How do you need to see it to where it's going to click for you? And he said, just build me the model. We built the model. And he said, that's all I needed to see. And he has become our, like, our biggest advocate that's and awesome. fan so quickly. And all of a sudden, there's lots of money to invest in the project because now he can see the path to how to get there. And so sometimes I think it's that. And then also they love the track record and just social proof. Some of these CEOs just say, show me another company that has done this and how did it go? And I'm sure you run into that too with ROI. Tell me about some of your clients that have implemented this and what were the results? Show me that and show me consistency in that and a track record. And I'll probably say yes to it. And so that's just a huge component to getting them to to believe this could work for us. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Mary, this has been absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, we we reached out to you because we love uh, the work that you and your team are doing. If somebody has heard this conversation and wants to learn a little bit more about uh, either the sales BQ or the House of Revenue side, where do you um, direct somebody to go to learn more? Easy. One, if you like me, connect with me, Mary Grothy, <laughs> G-R-O-T-H-E on LinkedIn. Secondly, if you're in sales, you want the Quota Crusher podcast, the blog, or a free sales training room, jump over to salesbq.com. If you are an executive or a CEO and said, hey, some of this sounds a little interesting to me, I might want to learn more about scaling revenue, 
houseofrevenue.com. All right. A big thank you once again to Mary Grothy for joining us on the podcast today. Be sure to follow her on LinkedIn and check out Sales BQ, House of Revenue, and her fantastic podcast, Quota Crusher. That's going to do it for today's show. As I mentioned at the top of uh, the show today, we'd love for you to sign up for our newsletter. And, of course, just come visit us at Monster Connect. Check out some more uh, great podcast episodes and some great content we've got for you. Just go to monsterconnect.com slash podcast. That is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. 